Good morning, church. Let's stand. Let's worship together. If grace was a kingdom, I stopped at the gates. If thinking I don't deserve to pass through after all the mistakes that I've made. Oh, but I heard a whisper as heaven bent down. It said, child, don't you know that the first will be last and the last get a crown? And now I'm just a beggar in the presence of the King. I wish I could bring so much history tell me it's true that it's never the perfect it's always the ones with the scars they you use yes. it's the rebels and the prodigals it's the land the table just waiting for you so come on inside let's pray church father we thank you for this morning we thank you that you are waiting for us to come home and we give you our hearts this morning we give you our minds we give you our thoughts we give you everything this morning lord we surrender all that we have to you because what you have done for us in our lives, Lord. Yes. You are worthy of all, our, all of our praise, Lord. And for those of us who are fasting, surrender is what it's all about. Laying down everything that is of this world that we don't need and spending that time with you 
you know this, can we sing this together? I surrender all. I surrender all. All to be give it all to you, Lord, this morning. Fill us up. Move in our hearts right now. And we give you this time. Amen. I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will lift you by in the lowest valley.
Good morning, Journey Church. I'll go ahead and grab a seat. My name is Randall, and I get to give our tithe and giving message this morning. And uh, if you don't know, I have the opportunity to work for a really cool company. I'm biased. I've been with them for 18 years now. Um, but when I was in college, I was working with Chick-fil-A. And I, that's where I went to school in Atlanta, where their headquarters are. And I had the opportunity to actually interact with some financial consultants for Chick-fil-A. And so what they do is essentially come into the business and help you figure out how you can reduce your costs and increase your profits. And there was this one financial consultant. He wasn't a normal financial consultant. He was a cool financial consultant. He had like high energy and he listened to rap music. It was just so awesome. I looked up to him a lot. His name was Jim Rasmussen. He probably doesn't even know who I am at this point. But um, I remember asking him, just saying, hey, if you had to give me advice, you know, I'm a college student. Hopefully, I'm starting on a career path with the company. If you had to give me financial advice, what, what would you tell me? What would you say? And his answer kind of shocked me. Um, he said, Randall, honestly, if you could do one thing, let's say your number one financial goal in life is that each year you should become a more generous person than you were last year. Every single year, you should take a small incremental step forward with your generosity. And if that can remain your ultimate goal, as you have all these other goals, paying off student loans, you know, we've got a little girl now, setting up a college fund for her, all these other financial goals are gonna fall beneath the premise of living a more generous life each year. And I think about that every single time the calendar rolls over. We think about and we talk about what is our financial life going to look like going into this year? What is our tithing going to look like? What are our gifts to charity going to look like? What is the day-to-day -day stuff going to look like? And it doesn't mean that every time somebody offers you a $2 candy bar in the Target parking lot, you got to buy it. That's not what it's about. But it's about being intentional to structure your life in a generous way. Because when we live generously, it reminds us that what we have is not ours. What we have is what's been given to us by God. And I think that's such an important thing to remember. Uh, so today, I just want to encourage you, figure out for yourselves, what does that one small step forward look like? That one next generous step, what does it look like for you individually? Um, you might not be in a position where you're tithing the full amount you wish you were but you are always in a position to take a small step forward and put your faith in God's hands. So this morning, our ushers are gonna come forward. We have three ways you can give. The first one is through the ushers in their buckets. They're gonna pass those around in just a second. Next one is online through Journey's website, avjourney.com. And then the last one, you can text JC to 45888, and you can set up one-time or recurring gifts uh, through the mobile app there. So if you'll bow your heads with me, I want to say a blessing over the offering today. Dear Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together in your name. Thank you so much for this church, for the worship team, for the volunteers, the ushers, everybody who makes it happen every single Sunday for us. Uh, just ask that you bless everyone here as they're thinking about their financial lives and thinking about how they can live generously and how their financial giving can be an indication of your love for them and for our community and our world. It's in your name we pray this morning. Amen.
All right, well, my wife's gonna join me on stage for announcements, as she does. If you're a fifth or a sixth grader, you are welcome to go meet your group leaders out in the main lobby. Thanks for joining us for worship today. Hey, good morning, church. My name is Ashley, and we're so excited to see you this morning. Um, we're going to start by talking about 2019 giving. So if you're able to financially contribute to Journey last year, thank you so much for doing that. Um, you should have received an email with your contribution statement some point in the last week or so. If you didn't, there's two reasons why. Maybe it's in your spam folder, so check there. Maybe we don't have an email address on file for you. So there are some physical printed statements out behind the hotspot that you can pick up. And if you have any questions about that contribution statement, please feel free to call the office this week. And we've got a great volunteer opportunity coming up on Friday, February the 7th. This is our second annual AV Night to Shine event. So I don't know if you got to go last year, but this is essentially a prom night for community members who have special needs. We're looking for volunteers. Last year we had a ton of Journey Church family that were at the event. Um, if you're interested in volunteering, you do have to do a background check. So you're gonna wanna sign up through the website, avjourney.com, and get that process started. Also, if you know of anyone in our community with special needs that might want to go as an attendee, that registration process is also open. So we hope to see some folks out. So also on Friday, February 7th, from 7 to 10 p.m., we're going to have a parents' night out here at Journey. So if you have J-Kids ages birth all the way up through sixth grade, you're welcome to join us for a Valentine's Day party. The cost is $15 per child for the first two children in a family, and then it will be discounted for the third child and beyond. If you are one of the volunteers for Night to Shine, we will happily extend the amount of time your child can stay with us so that you have coverage while you're volunteering, and that'll be at no additional charge. So if you want more information, head to the hotspot. Yeah, and the next step will be Parents Week out, also $15, right Dave? The whole week, you can go wherever you want for 15 bucks. They'll also take care of your house, your pets. It's gonna be awesome, so look out for that. Is that happening? No? All right, well, we do have a fun opportunity this summer. Journey is putting together a team of missionaries that are gonna go serve in Romania. If you are interested in getting information, we're having a meeting next Sunday, the 2nd, right after 2nd service. It's just going to be outside in the loft right above the collective. Yep. And if you're a first-time guest, welcome. We're really excited that you chose to come and spend the morning at Journey. We have a small gift for you at the hotspot, and we'd love to meet you. And we keep referencing the hotspot. It's our information desk. It's just out these back doors and to the right. And that is all we have for you this morning. So please take a second, stand up, and say good morning to your neighbor.
continue on our service. I'm Dave. If you're new to Journey, I'm one of the pastors, and I'll be, yeah, I'll be teaching this morning um, from a couple passages. But first, I just wanted to mention that I've been loving our Wednesday night prayer times. During the fast, our church is going through every January. We take the first few weeks, first 21 days. Well, not the very first, but in the first month, we go with 21 days where we ask people to separate themselves from some of the things you normally do. Typically, what we do is we separate from food. That's what the normal fast is. But some folks, because of their job or health or other reasons, can't separate from food for you know a meal a day or whatever. So um, they're fasting television or social media or electronics or whatever. But during the fast, during the time where we're praying, and again, the whole point is not to punish yourself or not to torture yourself, but it's to, it's to focus on your spiritual appetites um, by depleting the physical. It's, it's turning your attention away from one thing that you constantly do and regularly you know, participate in in order to do something unique, to recenter yourself on your spiritual life, to really focus in on what it is that you're accomplishing, where you're going, and, and how you're growing spiritually. And Wednesday nights, we've been gathering from 6.30 to 7.30 just for, for just a real intimate prayer time. And it's, it's not a huge crowd. I mean, we have a good crowd of people, but what I love about it is we just get to share our prayer, what's going on in our lives. We get to share some of the stuff we're going through and pray together. We get to spend time alone, just kind of reflecting and praying, and then we come together. And our last one is this Wednesday night. If you want to join us, that's going to be 630 to 7.30 this Wednesday, and that'll wrap up our season of fasting together as a church. <clears throat> well, it ends next Sunday, but that will be our last gathering for prayer. But speaking of prayer... Um, on my way to the pulpit this morning, I was asked uh, to pray for a pastor in Texas. It's Pastor Russ Weaver. Um, he's a pastor of one of the cowboy churches out there in Texas, and he's facing a real crisis with his heart, and he's facing heart surgery tomorrow. So we're just going to pause, and we really believe in the power of our God that when he responds to our prayers. So would you join me? And we're going to pray for Pastor Russ. Our great Heavenly Father, we come right now and and I love the fact that we could be here in California. I don't even know how many miles that is, but somewhere in Texas, this, this guy who loves and serves you is going through a really big crisis. And his heart is um, it's in a crisis state. And he needs prayer and he needs healing. He needs a touch. So God, we pray as a church family, as part of this overall family of God, that we pray that you would work on his behalf, that you would heal him, that you would touch him, that you would raise him up. To make him whole, make his heart strong again, Lord, that he continues the work. I know he's made a real impact on some of the people right from our own church family. And uh, God, we just pray he'd continue to do so. So touch him and heal him. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we're in week three, a series called Your Best Life. And what we've been asking is, what does it look like to approach, to try to, to live into our best life now? Because what I found is that many Christians in the West, including myself until more recently, we don't actually believe that this gospel of the kingdom is really good news for now. I, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a way that a lot of people look to the hereafter as the good news. It's like, when I die, then I get the good stuff. This, it's just miserable, it's suffering, it's, it's kind of hard, but, but one day, you know, we go to heaven when we die, if we're with Jesus and, you know, we trust in him, we go to heaven and then it's good. But as I really discovered, as I studied the Gospels and particularly as I have tried now 
to become an apprentice to Jesus. Because we read that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we're really big on, yeah, Jesus is the way, <clears throat> the truth, and the life. We're pretty, really particular on this, he's the truth. Because we really are all about our doctrines in churches. We want to make sure that everybody knows the right information, believes the right information, and that you hold to the right information. We're all about the truth. We're really big about the life, that one day we're going to have life eternal, that Jesus offers life if we trust in him. We get to go to heaven and have life. But what we've often failed to do is figure out the way. How do, what's the way to live? He said, I'm the way to life. The way of living is what I'm offering, not just somewhere else one day, but how to live right now. How to live into the fullness of life. I came to give them life, life to the abundance, to fullness. All the way filled up. And that's what I'm looking at. So how do we accomplish this? And many Christians in the West, we don't, we don't really believe that's for now. We kind of think it's there somewhere else. And, and what we actually believe, without even saying it out loud, is we believe the other gospel that's being preached in our culture. And there's a gospel that's literally competing neck to neck, and it's the gospel of America, you could call it. And here's the gospel. The more you have, the happier you are. And that's the gospel. It, it tells us happiness is out there. It's just one click, one you know, job promotion. It's one gadget, one car payment. It's just, it's one more thing away and, and you'll have it. You're just almost there. But like, I'm just saying what you all know already. When you believe this gospel, when, and, and whether you say you believe it or not, so many of us live it, even though we say, oh no, that's, I, I recognize that's a lie. But we live every day as if this is the gospel of life. That the more we achieve, the more we have, the happier we'll be. So we believe Jesus is the way to heaven, but we believe there's a better way of living here. And we have swallowed hook, line, and sinker the gospel of America. More means better. And this is what, let me say, I, I know that you know, I know that we all know, that this is just a, it's a carrot that's dangling in front of us. And all of you have experienced the case where you see the carrot and it says, well, you're almost there. You just keep a little, a little more time at the office, a little more pressure, a little more saving, a little more spending, a little more this, a little more that. You're almost there. And it's almost like it kind of, you, you run a little faster and just almost bumps into your nose. You can almost get it, almost get it. And you finally, sometimes you actually do get a big bite of that carrot and you realize, wait a minute. That carrot is attached to a string, which is attached to a stick, and it just keeps moving. The, closer, the harder I run, the faster I go, the more it just kind of stays right in front of me. And even when I get a bite of it, what I realize is that all of a sudden there's a new carrot. It's changed, but it's the same rat race all over again. There's just a new thing. I got that thing, and it didn't really fill the hole. As a matter of fact, I feel like the hole's a little bigger. It didn't really accomplish the thing that it promised. It just feels like there's more things now. And so we, we realize it doesn't live up to the hype. Someone offers another carrot, and we just start chasing it all over again, even though we know it's not going to fill the hole. French sociologist Jean Billiard basically made a point that in the Western world, materialism has become the new dominant system of meaning. It's where we find our meaning. He argues atheism hasn't replaced cultural Christianity. Shopping has. Shopping is now the number one leisure activity in America, and it has unseated what used to be number one, which was Christianity or religion, faith. And what we now believe is that making lots of money and owning lots of stuff is the most important thing in life. 
We literally have swallowed this as a culture. Only a century ago, 90% of Americans were actually farmers or worked the crops or worked with their land or with their hands. Just, just 90 years ago, not, I'm sorry, just a century ago, 90% of us did that. Life was hard, but it was simple. You, you basically, there wasn't a whole lot of cash exchange. People worked and they traded goods and things were like pretty simple. Money was rarely even used. I think that's a cool system because it just kind of makes it really, really clean. But what we owned back then were the things we really needed, not just the miscellaneous piles of wants. But in the last century, we have seen a radical reshaping of American life. An economy has changed. It's, it's because it started with urbanization. Folks all started moving to the big city. Factories began to produce and produce and produce, and folks would take jobs. And that turned into basically that rolled right into the wartime. And in the wartime, of course, they had to have bigger factories to build bigger bombs and bigger things for the mechanism of war. So we find that all of these people, after the wars ended, we had all of these factories and all these people that needed employment, so they turned that mechanism from creating what was needed to sustain us during war into something else. So tank factories became repurposed to make t-shirts or washing machines or televisions. And it not, it's, it, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I read recently that there was a deliberate and actual attempt by, or it wasn't an attempt, it was succeeded. After the wars, the tycoons of big businesses, some shadow politicians from D.C., advertising executives out of New York, they got, they got together some of these high, powerful people, and they conspired together. They worked together to remake the American economy. Their agenda was to create an entire economy out of consumerism. So basically, they're trying to get the, the former children of farmers to believe that you can actually buy your happiness through things. And one author called it the thingification of America. One Wall Street banker said this, again, Wall Street banker, we must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old have been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality. Man's desire must overshadow his needs. Sounds like some genius from, you know, sci-fi movie, right? Wrong. This was Paul Mazur of Lehman Brothers. One of the big investment firms. I mean, this is some. This was literally, folks. Again, you may not want to buy this, but the proof is out there, and this is a physical, actual plan that was developed to help turn our economy into something else. Obviously, to to benefit those who are on the top, but to turn us into lemmings to produce, to turn the wheels of progress, and fill the coffers. And again, my point is this: it's just to remind us that advertising, that the promise that stuff is going to fulfill you is propaganda. It's a lie. It's intentionally designed to manipulate manipulate you. There. Sorry. <clears throat> to get you to believe <laughs> that if you just buy their product, if you just have that thing, if you just make that payment, if you just sign that dotted line, it, it, that you're going to, your, your wants are actually needs, and you need that next thing. Did you know the average American, the average one of us, sees 4,000 ads or commercials or some form of prop, you know, propaganda every single day? 4,000 advertisements. 
They're basically spending billions of dollars to fan the flames of discontent in your life to make you want more. Billions. Before any of this even started, I love Mark Twain. Mark Twain said this, civilization is the limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities. In other words, we just keep finding new things to want. And even though they're not valuable, they're not important, we just make necessities out of unnecessary things. As our prosperity and our technology continues to rise, psychologists are pointing out that our happiness is not keeping pace. The more we get, it is not making us more happy. As, as a matter of fact, as a nation's wealth goes up, what they've discovered is our happiness goes down or plateaus. Let me say it again. As our wealth goes up, our happiness goes down or plateaus. Author Greg Easterbrook, he wrote a book called The Progress Paradox, How Life Gets Better While People Feel Worse. He noted that in our ultra-modern, ultra-wealthy, knowledge-centered world, he said this, we find ourselves with more of everything except happiness. I don't, I don't know, does that ring a bell for anybody? Does that seem like it's pretty true? So what do we do? Do we go back to, you know, digging a hole in the backyard and, you know, using that for an outhouse? I mean, do we go with the back to no running water, burn our credit cards? I, you know, I don't, I don't know that those things are going to really do it. But I do think we have to do a couple things. Because the problem isn't really stuff. The problem is our perspective. The problem is the gospel that you're buying and what we're believing really makes us happy. We put no limit on the stuff that we buy because we have this human appetite for more. And they've just learned to play with that appetite, to fan it into something more. We think we need all sorts of stuff to be happy when actually we need very little. Human beings need very little to be happy. That's why you can go to a third world country. If you've ever been on a missions trip, you see children playing with a rock, having more fun than your kid did with their $200 Christmas present. These people, we, they know the simple things that some of us have forgotten. And this is it. Jesus and the writers of the New Testament put the number of our material, our physical needs, at a very small number. This is what Paul said, echoing some of Jesus' teachings in 1 Timothy 6. He said, for we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. For all of you who are saving up for some other place, well, we're not taking it with us. So he said, but if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Can anybody say that honestly? If, if, you know, if I just have... Basically, if, if we just, if we're eating and living indoors, we're content. If we're covered in, in basic, basic things, we're, we're good. Because we think to have a rich and satisfying life, you've got to have tons and tons of stuff. You've got to have this house and this car and, and this clothing line, or you've got to have that kind of thing. And our lives just begin about, it just develops into an appetite. That's again why the fast is about reorienting our appetites, saying no to things that are so present in our world and just preached at us and thrown at us and, and tr given to us as the answer. And we're just saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step away. I'm going to realize that there are very few things in life that I really have to have. I can even say no to food. I can even say no to these technologies. I can say no to these simple things in order for myself to go back to what really matters most. And if you doubt your ability to live simply and thrive, you're not alone. Most of the people around you probably aren't trying very hard either because we've bought the story. More money and more stuff, more happiness. But it's just not true. Research <clears throat> reveals 
the reality. The bulk of it, really, it basically reads that if you reach middle class, for most of us, once you reach middle class, money and stuff cannot deliver anything better after that point. Happiness does not come in bucket loads when you have buckets more money. As a matter of fact, the lie is that more money will get you happier, but like most dangerous lies, it has a thread of truth through it, but it's packed with some really dangerous mistruths. And here's what we find. Lifting people out of poverty, yes, it can have a positive impact on their sense of well-being and happiness, but only to a point. And we know what that point is now after much research. That point is $75,000. Catch this. In a landmark study out of Princeton University, there were two great minds that came together to study over like half a million different studies that they went through from Gallup you know, Research Organization and all these others. And this was Dr. Daniel Kahneman. Of, he was a Nobel Prize winning psychologist and a guy, Dr. Angus Deaton. He was a well-known economist. And they basically spent all these months studying all the data from all the research. And they concluded that your overall well-being does rise with your income to a point, but only to a point. After that, there's a plateau and a decline. Here's what Deaton said in his own words. No matter where you live, your emotional well-being is as good as it's going to get at $75,000. And money's not going to make it any better beyond that point. It's like you hit some sort of ceiling and you can't get emotional well-being much higher just by having more money. Turns out, once you reach what most Westerners classify as middle-class life, you can't get much more. Your stuff does not deliver more bang for its buck. It doesn't deliver happiness. And a lot of people are like, well, then I'll take the $75,000. let us go. i will just go with that. But what if Jesus was right? The point is this. What if Jesus was right? That our life does not consist in the, in the possessions that we gather. What if Jesus is right that you can live the fullness of life and it doesn't depend on what you have in your bank account or what kind of car you drive or what kind of designer stuff you're wearing today? What if the formula, more stuff equals basically more pain or more discomfort or more responsibility? What if that's the truth? What if it equals more stress, more time at the office, more debt, more struggles at home, more years on a job you hate? What if, it, what if it's time wasted cleaning and organizing and maintaining stuff? I don't know about you, but this is a, this is a sermon born out of my life. I have come to the place where I'm, I've collected things, not even intentionally. It's just because I had so many kids and we had a bunch of stuff. But as they're growing up and moving out, it's kind of like, what do we do with all this stuff? And we got... We got boxes on boxes on boxes. I mean, it's to the point where you think, man, maybe we should get more, more rooms to hold more stuff. And this is when you know it's a problem. Jesus told a little story about the barn builder, about the guy who had so much stuff. He said, I'm going to build me bigger barns. I'm just going to tear down those barns. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build me mini storages. I got so much stuff. And rather than having a heart that actually sees what the point of our lives is, and it's to make a difference in our world, it's to take God's love into our hearts and just spread it everywhere. We see it as all about us and consuming and me and mine. And he said, man, and that, that guy who did that, he's going to lose his soul. As a matter of fact, his soul is so connected to that stuff, it's going to sink in the ground with him when he dies. He can't, he's not going to know eternal life. I'm just like, man, that's some powerful stuff. So more stuff doesn't equal more happiness. So 
This is not the path to greater joy and to life to the fullest. So what does more stuff actually mean? Well, more stuff actually means less of what matters most. It, less time, less financial freedom, less generosity, according to Jesus, you know, teaching about what joy comes from, less peace as I hurry through life to get more stuff, less focus on what's really important, less mental real estate for creativity, less relationships, less margin, less laughter, less prayer, less love for God and his people. There's just less of all the things that matter most, less of what my heart longs for, what I really want deeply inside. So what if we were to reject this culture's message? What if we were to just push back and say, wait, 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 I see what's going on here. I see that this is a plan that's been developed, and it wasn't even in people's hearts. It was long before people started you know, running into this concept and taking advantage of each other that we had this other deceiver step on the scene who said, did God really say that you can't have what you want? No, that's not what he said. But he said you couldn't have this? He's keeping something from you. That very same truth that is that's basically that we see in the garden that somebody is out to deceive us is playing out right here in front of our faces and we can't even see it because the carrot looks so good and smells so tasty. It's like, oh man, it's still happening. So what do we do? Is, is there another way to live? Is there another gospel besides this more is better? Is there another way to approach our life? Is there, is there a way off the merry-go-round of just work hard, get stuff, work hard, get stuff, die, give the stuff away. Yard sale. Is there, more, is there more to it? Can we live our best life now? Well, of course, the answer is yes, or I wouldn't be here. I'd be out collecting more stuff. And it's basically one of the ways that we do this is a practice I want to talk about for the next few minutes. It's called simplicity. In the old days, the monks used the word frugality. Um, there's a lot of secular terms that they're, they're discovering this principle, and now they're putting it into practice across society, absent of the meaning that Jesus gives us for the actual purpose. And they're calling it minimalism, or they're calling it um, essentialism. Personally, I prefer the term simplicity. And this is one of those practices when we talk about following Jesus in the way of Jesus. When it talks about Jesus, he said, hey, foxes have, you know, their places to, birds have nests, foxes have their holes in the ground. The son of man, in other words, I've chosen not to invest in a place. I'm not putting my investment. The son of man has no place to lay his head. It didn't mean Jesus didn't sleep. It just meant Jesus said, I'm not going to focus my eternal life on temporary things while I'm here. Not saying that's the only thing, that's what we're supposed to do is sell our houses and live in fields. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there's something so much more. And if we're going to follow in the ways of Jesus, we need to tune into what his heart was saying to us. What I think, <clears throat> here's some definitions that I think might clarify this. Joshua Becker, he was a follower of Jesus. He was a pastor and he became a writer who, starts, who spends full time talking about minerals, this whole process. He said, the intentional promotion of the things we most value this is what it is. Intentional promotion of things we most value and the removal of everything that distracts from them. So it's basically minimalism or simplicity is just basically saying there's a few things that matter. I got to push away from all the rest. I got to clear the clutter and I've got to really focus on there's a few things that really make us happy in life. There's a few things that life is really worth living for. And I've got to identify those and I've got to start saying no to the rest. Another definition from Richard Foster. And Mark Scandred, he basically, they basically said simplicity is an inward reality that can be seen in an outward lifestyle. By choosing to leverage time, money, talents, and possessions towards what matters most. <clears throat> and by the way, 
This does not end with an offering. This is not me trying to get more stuff out of you. I'm not playing this game. This is me saying, I'm discovering that there's a way to live that is so much more freeing and so much more full of joy. And as I'm discovering it, I just, I just really want you to, to discover it with me. I want to share it with you. <clears throat> Minimalism isn't just about your money and your stuff. It's about your whole life. It's about bringing your whole life into harmony with the way God made you. I find it interesting that the author Thoreau, after he went off on his multi-year journey into the woods to live simply, <clears throat> he came back full of joy and he said, simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. I say, let your affairs be as two or three, not a hundred or a thousand. Why should we live in such a hurry? And why should we live with hurry and waste of life? Why should we rush through life and miss the point, Thoreau said. Some authors give us some suggestions as I was reading this week. And again, some of the books that have been really powerful for me is John Ortberg's book, um, The Life You've Always Wanted, uh, The Elim Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer fed me on these thoughts. It's basically <clears throat> anything that does not add value to your life, get rid of it. Anything that does not spark joy, anything you no longer use or love. In other words, you walk in the closet, if you don't feel, wow, get rid of it. Or no, wait, don't go shopping, just saying, clear it out. Anything that doesn't lead to a feel, anything that leads to a feeling of disorganization, anything that doesn't help you feel like you're moving forward. He said, just get rid of the baggage. And the goal here is to live with a degree, with a real high degree of intentionality, I'm just going to choose to live differently. I mean, if you feel like you're in the rat race and you're just you're tired of it, working harder for, for less, then, then maybe there's another way. So that's the point here. <clears throat> and I find that it's interesting that Jesus offers us, he and his kingdom offers a whole way out of this, and we've turned it into religion. We've missed the joy, we've missed the life, we've missed the fullness, we've missed all of that stuff he, he actually said was going to be a part of this because we just turned it into another thing to do. Here's what Paul said as he took Jesus' teaching and he made him known to the church in Ephesus through Timothy. He said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, for the age that goes forever and ever and ever. He's saying you're getting a good investment up there by getting rid of stuff here in an honorable way. <clears throat> so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. There's a life that's out there that's not really the life God wanted you to have. Paul's saying there's a way of living that you can actually take hold of the life that you were designed for, that you yearn for that you work so hard for, but are missing. And he's saying it's, it's basically do good, be rich in deeds, be generous, willing to share. <clears throat> Get rid of stuff that will bless somebody else and simplify your life. And Paul was, he was basically repeating what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to talk about that in a sec. There's a way to reach out and take hold of life that was really life. So I read this verse years ago, and I, as, as I've read that a million times, I've always thought of that verse for somebody else. I mean, I think of the people that I know, they're wealthy, and it's not me. So I've always thought, well, of course, that's a great passage. I, I know a few people that need to hear that. But it's not about me. I mean, I grew up thoroughly middle class or less, it felt like. Here we had a home, which is a blessing, but our vacations were going to grandma's house on the farm or, you know, grandma's house at the coast. That was vacation. 
we rarely ever ate out. McDonald's was like this huge treat. And we're like, yay, McDonald's. You know, it's, it's like the best thing ever. My clothes were rarely name brand, ex- unless you consider JCPenney undies and tough skin jeans to be name brand. That was it. So I, I never thought of myself as wealthy. I looked at all my friends. They had motorcycles and all this cool stuff. And, well, I didn't. So I consider myself less than that. But it turns out I am rich, and so are most of you. And I say this not as a guilt trip, just as a reality check. Don't write this passage off for somebody else. According to CNN Money article that I read, Anne Linsinski basically said this. If you make $25,000 a year or more, statistically, you're in the top 10% of the world's wealth. $25,000 a year or more, you're in the top 10% wealthiest people in the world. If you make 34000 or more a year, you're in the top 1%. How does it feel to know that you're one of the top producers in the world? 99% of the people in the world make less than you. If you have any of those categories, 25000 to 34000 you are up at the top. I'm like, well, it doesn't feel like that. This guy next door makes more than me. The guy I work with has a bigger house. Well, in Jesus' life and teaching, we see this tension. Because Jesus was really good about seeing the good in the world that God made because everything he said, it was good, it was good. If Genesis, just read chapters 1, 2, and 3. Everything he made, it was good. But then we turned it to something not good. When we love the thing rather than the creator of the thing. When we love the world instead of the creator of the world. When we put our hearts towards the material stuff instead of the maker of the material stuff, we lost it. And Jesus saw the tension here. He lived in the world. He delighted and he had said that he was considered a a drunkard and and a glutton because he hung out with sinners and he feasted and he laughed and he enjoyed and he lived life to the fullest. But, But Jesus also knew the tension that this plays a very, very serious game with our hearts. And if Jesus were to make a choice, he would basically side with minimalism over materialism. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to read it for you. I'm not going to commentate on this a whole lot. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus just kind of gives his thoughts on the whole concept. First, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Everybody knows that one. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying your heart follows your treasure. So if you want your heart to be anchored to the stuff that's put in the ground and stays eternally separated from God, feel free. But if your heart yearns for something that connects with the eternal and moves you in a direction towards God and his kingdom, he goes on. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? In other words, there's a way of seeing. These were idioms for the first century Jews that they would understand. There's a way of seeing the world correctly. But if you allow money and possessions to capture your heart, you will no longer see clearly. You won't even see that you're being deceived. Moves on. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. He doesn't say you shouldn't. He said you can't. You're not made to. 
you're going to love something, and it's going to get your full attention. It's going to get the priority in your, your time, your talents, your treasures. And he said, you get to choose it, but you, it's, not a, it's not a both and. It's an either or. You can't serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers in the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown in the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry. Saying, what do we eat? What do we drink? What do we wear? For the pagans, and that wasn't derogatory. That was just the class of people that don't believe in God in his day. The pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But here we go. It comes down to basically seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has worry enough about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Man, Jesus just wants to burn away all those misconceptions. He wants to light a fire to the propaganda, the ads, and all the billions of dollars that are aimed at taking your heart and driving you away from God, leading you. The carrot that just keeps taking us off the path to true and full life. He's saying, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to part the curtain so you see the reality of the world that you're living here and the way to fill your soul with soul-satisfying things rather than constantly put in the sugar that just burns up and then leaves you hungry again. He said, this is it. Seek first. Seek first. Of all the things you're going to put in your priority list, seek first. The ways of God, his kingdom, the rule of God in your life, the ways of God in your life. And living rightly before him. And guess what? He's going to take care of it all. He's going to fill your life with good things. Richard Foster said, simplicity is freedom. A carefree, unconcerned for possessions. And Jesus knew that. John Mark Comer said, to follow Jesus is to live in the same tension between grateful, happy enjoyment of nice, beautiful things and simplicity. Oh, and simplicity. And when in doubt, to err on the side of generous, simple living. So what I want to do. I'm ready to get started. I want to I move beyond this, this charade that we're playing, that somehow we just work harder, just kind of accumulate a little bit more. We're just going to be so full of life, it can make us happy. What I love about Jesus is that the teacher, he would give us practical nuggets for how to go do this at the end of his teaching. And I want to do that today. So I'm just going to hit a handful, and then we're going to be done. First, I've learned that one of the keys to what Jesus <clears throat> has taught here is learn to love and celebrate what you've already received. Learn to love. Do you love what you already have? Or is it the next thing that's going to make you really love and happy? Is, do you really appreciate what you've got right now? I mean, I can do this so easily. I'm sitting in my house, which is a beautiful home, and I'm thinking of all the things I need to change to make it better. I'm just, I'm never satisfied. I look at them like, you know, those windows are really small. And I could, if I had bigger windows... I'd have, I have a better view. And if I had a better view, I'd be happier. I'm all about the view. So I'm like, maybe that would do it. Maybe, you know what, we, should, we have this, so much space above our heads. We have this big 14-foot space above our roof, I mean, above our ceiling, that, man, I could turn that into other rooms. And Lori's like, and do what? Clean them? 
we're emptying the ones we have. People are moving out. We're like, we need more rooms. I'm like, well, but we could have more. I mean, even now, this thing tempts me. Even now, this thing plays with me. I walk out into my garage like, oh, my gosh, I need more garages. I don't think I need to get rid of junk. I think I need more storage space. This junk's important. This is good stuff. If it wasn't, I'd have got rid of it a long time ago. This is good stuff. And when I die, somebody's going to find value in this. Pennies on the dollar, but still. Think about <clears throat> What if you just began to love and appreciate what you already have? What if you began to, to stop telling yourself that lie that, oh, the next one's going to be the thing. That's going to be the one. The car that I get after this car. The job after this job. The relationship after this relationship. Whatever. The next is better and bigger. What if we begin just saying, the one I have right I'm going to live right in this moment, and I'm going to celebrate and enjoy what I have right here, right now, with who God has given me. I'm going to do that. What if we go to the next one? What if before you buy something, <clears throat> you simply ask yourself the truth? What does this really cost? I mean, beyond the ticket price, it's like, okay, well, I got that. Let's say you, you see a motorcycle you just can't live without, and you're just like, oh, man, this is, I would love that. That would be so good. It would just fill my life with joy. I work hard. I deserve it, and all those things you tell yourself. This is basically like, okay, but what is the price? Beyond the ticket price, then you have what? Well, you have insurance or not, getting a wreck and get taken to jail. But insurance, then what? You got to upkeep. You got to put gas in it. You got to put oil in it. You got to change the oil. You got to change things. And when you break it, you got to fix it. And then you got to put those, the, then you got to pay the state tax. And would you please quit voting for more taxes? I'm just saying. <clears throat> that was, I don't know where that came from. That was not a sermon that I was meaning to preach. <clears throat> but. Just, I mean, enough already. I mean, you got to put more taxes on my stupid little motorcycle. So let's, we got to put all that money and time and energy and thought and effort into something. And so what it does is every new possession possesses a little more of your heart. Let me say it again. Every new possession possesses a little more of your heart and your time, which is even just as valuable as your money. So everything you add to your collection, either you're maintaining it or you're not. And one day you'll have to deal with the non-maintenance. So... What if we just quit buying stuff just to have it, to put it in a garage for once in a while? <clears throat> Evaluate. What's the real cost of this? Next, don't impulse buy. Man, you ever just go on Amazon and just browsing like, ooh, I need that. Oh, there's a better one. I need that. I need that. You ever go to a grocery store having one thing that you wanted to buy, and you buy 10 things on your way out? Every time, Costco, it's 100 bucks. It's just the way it is. It's 100 bucks. Like, I went in for cereal, 100 bucks. Just what is it about impulse? We see something, it's like, got to have it, got to have it, want that. That's the way our world is wired. That's how it's set up. That they know everything about where your eyes go, what colors catch them, what things, what symbols. They know all of this about us. Nobody spends more on understanding you and your purchasing patterns than advertisers. And let me tell you, they are good at it. Don't impulse buy. Make your list. Stick to your list. And I've learned that if I don't, if I don't buy it right then, if I really, really want it, I'm like, oh. If I go and sit on it and think about it for a few days, I realize 90% of the time, I don't need it anyway. And you know what? I'm probably not going to have any room to put it if I bring it home. Why? So impulse buying. <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to exercise self-control. And can I tell you that I've done this so many times recently through the Christmas season all through now? I'm just like, when I don't give in to something, I'm like, oh, I got to have that tool. Or I got to have that whatever. I feel so good about it. I'm like, man. That just set me free. I don't have one more thing to maintain, to think about, to separate and divide my concentration. What about the next one? When you can, share. <clears throat> you ever realize how fun sharing is? No, because we want it for ourselves. 
want my own in my own garage for my own use when I want it. But I've discovered that there, there are really some good things about sharing in this world. Like, did you know that <clears throat> Airbnb offers some really cool places? You don't have to own them or maintain them. You just go stay in them. Your monthly payments are way less. Matter of fact, for a very small fraction of what you would have to spend on a down payment, you can have a very nice vacation every year. Just stay so VRBO, all these sites, they like, hey, let somebody else own it, maintain it, pay the taxes on it. You just go enjoy it. I know I've wanted, I've got to just be honest. Now, this is, this is just between me and you. Don't tell anybody. I've wanted a tractor so bad. I mean, like, four-wheel drive, it's got to be because I live on a hill, and, and every Every wintertime, the three rains we get a year wash out my road. And they wash out my driveway, and literally the, the ruts get so deep that, you know, Lori's car is like, you know, stuck in a rut. And like, we can't get out when it snowed. Like, we're stuck. I, I need a tractor. Put it that way. Wants and needs. This is a need. And, I, and by the way, did I ever mention that? I just love working on a tractor. I mean, I love getting out and dragging and, and making holes and digging stuff. And, but this is a need. I'm telling Jesus, you hear? <clears throat> but what I've discovered, because I, I borrowed a friend's tractor and broke it, and <clears throat> it's very expensive. <laughs> what I've discovered, though, is that you can rent these crazy, and they maintain them, they keep them, and you can get them for a few hundred bucks and do all your work and then give it back to them to store. You don't have to build a bigger barn. You don't have to put oil in it. You do have to put gas in it, but then you take it back. And I, I am, like, loving this. If anybody wants to go in partners on a tractor, okay, I'll do that. But when, when you can share, can I just tell you that sharing the load is part of what Christ followers, the journey was meant to be about? It was to be interdependence, where all of us bring something to the table, and we all meant, meant to be giving and sharing. I, I love that Chase, and I mentioned that Chase, is, is re, he's, you know, taking a house and they're refurbishing it. It started just basically nuts and bolts practically and just having to rebuild the whole thing before they can move in so we were working on it and working on it working on it for the last six months and <clears throat> we got to a point where there's some really complex things now plumbing we make a mistake uh, it leaks a little bit costs you a little bit of time electricity make a mistake somebody dies so we're dealing with this 220 we're running these power lines i'm like i don't know chase i'm not going to touch that and there's these you know all these wires in this box and they're all like you just know that you touch the wrong thing you're dead so we found out Scott Welch, is a, he's just knowledgeable at all, about all kinds of things. So he, he came over, and he's like, oh, no problem. He's like, in the box, you know, this 500 watts could kill you in a second. He's in there putting all this plug and all this stuff in. And what I discovered is there is so much beauty and so much wealth of information and so much that's all spread out through the kingdom life. If we would just learn to look over the fence and say, hey, you need help? I got something. If we could just look at the guy struggling next door and say, hey, I was meant to bear one another's burden, so let me get under that with you. I got a little knowledge. I got a little experience. I got a little time. I'm, I'm going to say no to something else so I can say yes to this. Because I can't do it all the time, but I can do this. I can do this. That's how the kingdom was supposed to look. And, you know, that is what separates us from everybody else is that we look at each other and say, I can help with that. Again, I'm, it's not my load. I can't take your load on and just own it for myself, but I can, I can shoulder it for a minute. I can help you with it. What if we just began to live the ways of Jesus where we didn't hold our stuff so tightly that, oh, if you scratch it, oh, you know, it's, you get dirt on it, oh, my gosh. What if we just said, it's just stuff, and if you can use it, hey, I'm going to help, I'm going to help, I'll, I'll be there. What if you just get in the final, it's a, get in the habit of giving stuff away? 
I'd been going through, I went through yesterday morning, I'm up before the sun every day, just like first thing in the morning, you know, it's still dark, I'm in there thinking, okay, what do I, what can I do today? I make my priority list of things to help with Chase's house, but things I got to do at work. I'm looking in my garage yesterday, I'm just like, it's time. I'm preaching on it tomorrow, it starts today. Start just chucking stuff, boxes and all, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, you know what? There is such a good feeling when you get rid of stuff. Do you know what? Just you feel lighter. You ever feel after a yard sale? It's like, I didn't make as much as I wanted, but man, I feel better. I'm so happy to have that out of my life. Now it's somebody else's responsibility. When it was mine, I felt responsible for it. But now, just let go. What what if you just got like in this crazy generous moment where you just like, go and, and two places to start, your closet and your calendar. And just start looking at it and saying, I don't really love that. I don't really need that. All I'm doing is maintaining that. All I'm doing is paying storage and, and, and time on. I'm just, that's dividing my heart. It's time for that to go. And then find a new home. Find a person who could actually use that item and then just start, man, have a generosity garage sale where it's all free. <laughs> or it's just like pennies on the dollar and then you give the money away. It's like, what if you just went to your closet, got all that stuff and gave it to Grace Resources, just gave it to a friend to go through and... and what if you just started living simply? What if you just say, I want to I just practice the way of Jesus. I want to cultivate a deep and, and lasting appreciation for what really matters by literally and intentionally turning myself away from the things that don't. What if I went on a simplicity kick and I just began to eliminate from my life all the distractions that divide my heart and keep me from living the life that is truly life? Your best life is available, and it's available now. And you don't have to buy stuff. You don't have to obtain stuff. You can have it by entering into the truth of the gospel that the, the availability of the kingdom, the life God wanted for you, is available now. Through Jesus, you can actually experience this. Following his teachings, when you believe his truth, it transforms you. When you trust his life, you get eternal life. But when you live in his ways, you get the fullness of joy. That's what we're after in this series. I want to close in prayer, and as the band comes, can I just can I just pray over you? I think somebody here needs this really bad today, besides me. Heavenly Father, as we close today, I just know my own heart is this fickle, fickle soil that just... It wants to do these things, but then I get trapped and I get caught up and I, I just kind of go right back into the old gospel of more is better. Money makes happy and all those things. God, I reject today. I choose. I literally intentionally reject the lie. I see the facts. I read the statistics, but it just echoes what's already true in my heart. I know this. I've experienced it. More does not make me better. But there are folks in this room who still, this moment, Lord, their hearts are divided in a million directions because the stuff that they own owns them. And my prayer is that you would break into that today. Shed light on their little, you know, world, their little kingdom, and let them see the kingdom you're offering is so much better, so much richer. And to apprentice under Jesus really does lead us to the fullness of life. So I pray, Lord God, the simplicity would just become a part of the fabric of our lives as we seek to know and follow you. And our prayer is to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing one last song and let you guys head out and practice simplicity.